The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association. Welcome to Season 5 of Retail Therapy, proudly brought to you by American Express. This season, I'll be chatting with a great lineup of leaders in Australia's retail industry right here in the Amex Lounge, including the CEOs of some of the biggest retailers in Australia and across the globe. We'll be finding out what makes them tick, what defines their leadership style, and how they got to the top of their game. Joining me for some retail therapy today is Katrina Noble, the Executive General Manager Retail at Australia Post. Katrina is responsible for the organisation's network of 4,320 post offices and is renowned for driving key transformation in many of her previous roles, including CEO of McDonald's Australia and Managing Director at ANZ. Australia Post is a cornerstone of the country's social fabric and has been here for generations, and I'm delighted to have Katrina in the studio. Katrina, welcome. Hi, Paul. Great to be here. Now, when people think of Australia Post, Katrina, they imagine the posties dropping off parcels, but there's much more to it, of course. Are Australia Post retail stores busy? They are pretty busy, actually, funnily enough, because as you said, we've got 4,320 of them and counting. But yeah, we do so many things that I think a lot of people in our communities do understand, but there's probably quite a few people that don't. People use us for banking. So there's almost 1,500 regional locations now where we are literally the last bank in town. But I have to say, even in our metropolitan and suburban locations, we have quite a high usage because people are looking for convenience. And so, as, as there's less and less branches um, and somebody might not have one in their local suburb, they're still in Australia Post. So, they're, yes. they're coming and doing a lot of those things there. Of course, when people need a passport, they come to us. So, there's a lot of other services that we offer that are really important to our community. So, you really become a very str- – you've always had a community heritage, of course, but really the – you know, if you don't have an Australia Post in a town, then it's probably a town that actually doesn't have much else, I'm assuming. That's right. And that's why, you know, if we talk about ever wanting to, uh, you know, do any closures, people get very upset. Yeah. And so that's kind of lovely in a in a lot of ways because we are really valued in our communities. And, and what I guess we're trying to work out as we go forward is how do we maintain that service to the community and being a really important part of all those towns, but also work out a way to be more efficient and to optimise our locations. And, and we've got some really cool ideas around how we do that. And of course, you know, another reason, apart from passports and banking and all that other stuff related to our core offering, which is about parcels and sending and receiving, we are also now expanding where uh, we use lockers. So, yes. a lot of our post offices are only open Monday to Friday, nine to five, and, a, and then a few on Saturday mornings, but people want 24-7 access. So, a lot of our lockers are co-located with our post offices and they're available 24-7. Now, we're complementing that with other locations as well because our plan is we've got, I think, something like 680 parcel locker locations now. We need to get to thousands. So, they'll be at most of our post offices, but they'll also be in other places. So, you know, places like a Bunnings or in a rural area, it might be in an elders location, things like that. Yeah. Now, in your previous role at McDonald's, you were pivotal in introducing healthier products 
refurbishing stores and launching the much-lauded McCafe concept. Do you have any aspirations for change with Australia Post retail landscape? Yeah, absolutely. And look, we're really – and look, I'm not going to credit myself personally with all those things. I was part of a team. I'm actually sitting in Melbourne today, even though I live in Sydney, but I'm here a fair bit because this is where AP is uh, headquartered. But um, McCafe actually started in Melbourne in just over in Swanson Street, which I walked down this morning looking for coffee at about 5 a.m. Not much was open. That's where McCafe started, and McCafe is now a global concept. So, yeah, I'm really proud about being part of that team. And the whole idea of McCafe was how do we – we don't want to pretend we're not burgers at our core, but how do we be burgers – Plus, and and for for McDonald's that was burgers plus coffee, but really good coffee because of course we always had coffee, but the horrible filtered stuff. And obviously the trend was, you know, with Australia being such a great, so much great mo- migration from Europe post World War Two, filtered coffee wasn't going to cut it. That's very American. So really that whole espresso based coffee, how could we do that, and how could we have credibility doing it? So just sticking a machine on the counter and calling everyone a barista wasn't going to cut it. So that's where the idea of McCafe was born, and. And it really, it was about how do we get people to really embrace and love the fact that we're burgers, but also we can be something else. And and the biggest user, you do have some customers who only use McCafe, but to be honest, a lot of customers use both. And they may not consider themselves core McDonald's users. They might actually be embarrassed to say they're a McDonald's customer, but they love the McCafe brand. And I think that's really also, I mean, Australia Post is a little bit different. Most people actually love the Australia Post brand and are proud to use it. So, that's pretty cool. But we can either decide to just be a parcels business. And to be honest, a lot of postal services around the world have decided their parcels and letters at the moment, but letters will gradually get less and less. So, parcels is where the growth is, but we want to be parcels plus. Yes. And so, one of the things we're looking at doing is coming up with this concept called Community Hub at Post. We're madly working on launching our first one in Orange in central west of New South Wales. And one of the cool things we're doing there is we're kind of calling it this concept of bring Orange to the world because there's a lot of beautiful things in Orange. Um, for anyone who's been there, and I know you have, Paul, the great wineries, there's leather makers, there's beautiful toy maker there. We want to create what we're calling a merchant space. So it's like a marketplace, but instead of a digital market, it's like an in-real-life marketplace where people can come and touch and feel the beautiful, beautiful merchandise and products that are handcrafted locally. And then they can use our core business, which is sending parcels and they can get it sent to themselves instead of having to, you know, take it home. But also we want to bring the world to orange. So we're partnering with some of the people who are our key customers today who are very much operating in that e-commerce space uh, but don't have the reach to places like Orange or they they do in terms of they can send them stuff through us but they are struggling to broaden out that experience. And and as you know, a lot of e-commerce providers are wanting to, um, you know, do more than just be be online. They, but it's quite difficult to get into bricks and mortars as, as well. So, how do you offer that experience? And so, we think, well, that's what we do well. We've got the bricks and mortar space. We've got the confidence in the community with our brand. How can we partner with some of these really large e-commerce players and do something special? So, for example, in Orange, we're working with a major fashion retailer to have change rooms and to be able to do immediate returns 
uh, and and just you know and have we might even say in formal season for example they might bring up some of their designers that they work with and we can have a really beautiful evening for the the young people of Orange to come and try on with a with a special designer a whole bunch of beautiful dresses sounds fantastic so when does the Orange Concept Store officially open well we are waiting on our DA so we've got another follow up with council this week and we're hoping for early August well that's fantastic I look forward to visiting with you actually Katrina we'll have to make a date I think that sounds so exciting I call it a store because oh let's make a whole weekend of it Paul we'll make a weekend oh that sounds even better it's it's so it's 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 supposed it's much more than just delivering letters and parcels exactly. it's going to be a full little mini department store there it sounds amazing I can't wait yeah, to see it yeah it's going to be very cool your career Katrina has been incredibly versatile and it's been interesting to watch I, I guess the question I'd like to ask is how has it been transitioning from fast food to banking and now to a postal service yeah look I think to me I'm a retailer and retail's retail and for me it's about being commercial it's about customer centricity understanding what customers needs are delivering great service whether that's through a product or a service because obviously the different industries I've been in all have a real range of products and services and then it's about the team because you know every retailer has large well um, every bricks and mortar retailer has large frontline teams and so that's really my whole background and and that's what I feel like um, that's where I feel like I bring the value but of course you know when I started in banking I really didn't know anything about banking when I started at AP last year I didn't know much about postal services so I think you have to be a willing learner and I think you need to be curious because I do think you do need to learn the craft of the business that you're in but I'm never going to be um, I'm never going to have the level of knowledge that the 30-year veterans at Australia Post have so I lean on a lot of people around me a lot but I try I do try to be a student of the business too. Oh that's a, that's a really good um, good tip actually for people listening. Now, did leadership come naturally to you? Have you always had ambitions to get to the top in your field? No, it, it was actually really scary initially because when I started at McDonald's, I was it was the classic. You know, as soon as I turned fourteen and nine months, I was up at my local Macca's because a bunch of my friends uh, were already working there. So for me, it wasn't about career and it wasn't about ambition. It was just my dad wouldn't give me money for the fancy jeans. He's like, you can just have the Kmart ones. Or not that Kmart's not fancy these days, but you know what I mean? Like I wanted I wanted the the fashion the, yeah, you know, the, I had the, the high the fashion. Same history. <laughs> <laughs> and so um he's like, oh I'm not paying for those. And so if I wanted the extras, you know, he was like, you'd need to go and earn that <laughs> money. And of course with all my friends working there, uh the social life was was pretty appealing as well. But I think you know, so that was honestly my motivation. Yes. But I think after a few months, um, they started saying things like, oh, okay, well, you've been working the front counter now for a little while. Today, you're going to be the front counter manager. I'm like, what? What do you mean? What do you mean the front counter manager? And they're like, well, you're going to need to organize who goes on breaks when you need to work out what people's secondary responsibilities are. So when they're not serving, you know, and you know, the whole time to lean is time to clean thing. Um, and you have to get all the stock up, stocking done and all that. So you need to assign those tasks to people and then you need to delegate and follow up. And um, that was really hard. Like it sounds so basic, right? But when you when you're 15, it's pretty scary. But I really I really value that opportunity that I had because I see a lot of professionals today who have been real specialists in their field, and they haven't needed to become leaders until they're well and truly into their career. And in some ways, that must be more daunting to suddenly already be at quite a senior level and then you have to start being a leader. I got to do it in some ways the easy way. It was really, really building block for me. And so, it, even at the time, though it was a bit scary, 
I wasn't being asked to do much. You know, it was quite basic. And then I could build, get it, gain a bit of confidence and build on that. I, I don't know what kind of leader I would have been if I hadn't had that opportunity. So um, I'm really thankful for that. Did you ever second guess yourself along the way? Oh, yeah, all the time, all the time. I still do sometimes. I mean, I'm 53 yeah. now, right? So I feel like I'm, I'm some way closer towards, you know, what's the ultimate goal? Self-actualization. But um, yes. no, like all of us, we're, we're human and we have, we definitely, hopefully they happen less often. But no, I think we all second guess ourselves along the way. And yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I agree. I think sometimes, to be honest with you, I think you have, if you have that natural character to second guess, it's mean you, it does mean you're, you're doing that self-regulation, self-checking. And I think that's not a bad thing either. Yeah. I think it's a really, it's, it's a, it's a real positive trait, actually, more than anything. Uh, as long as you can sort of move on after you've second guessed for like a, Second, and then you move. Yeah, you well, move on once you've sort of resolved it within your own in your own mind. Yeah, and look, I kind of have a, a overnight thing with myself. Like if I'm really upset about something, and normally because I'm second, my guessing myself on something, I'll just say, okay, I'll see how I feel about it in the morning. And either by the morning time, I've gained perspective, and I'm over it. Yes. You know, <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever will be, will be. Or I've done what I needed to do. I made that decision, and I'm good with it. If I still feel uncomfortable in the morning, then I know I need to go and change something. I need to yes. do something different. Well, that's really good advice to people listening. I mean, even often when you sort of write that torrid email <laughs> to somebody, you think better leave it in drafts just so I can yeah, sit absolutely. on it for a little while before I push the push the button because uh, you never know it's going to be received. So it's it, you know it's good advice to actually sometimes sit on things, give yourself time to get your head around it. Have you ever and decide if you feel the same way? Have you ever crafted that torrid email? And then you've actually hit send, and then you then you actually realise not only have you sent it when you shouldn't have sent it, but you've sent it to the person in, like that, that it was about. It's unfortunately yes, it has happened to oh me, and I'm deeply embarrassed <laughs> about it. And it was a very important um, person that I sent it to, who might be listening on this oh, uh, podcast. Gosh. Do not send me any emails, but it has happened to me. And I think because I'd, I'd worked myself so much up about this particular individual that when I was thinking about them when I uh, finished the email, uh, that I put their name into the uh, email yes. address and yes. it was said to them. And I, I, I apologise, but the interesting thing is that the sentiment didn't change. And in fact, um, I think the response that I got was um, uh, confirmed to me that, uh, you know, that I probably should have taken it. I'm glad that I took this person on. So, you know, it's it's it, it, you know it's one of those things, you know, if you can uh, wait and, and yep. ponder, it's always a good thing to do if you can give yourself that, oh, that time. Definitely. Well, the good thing for me is that person, his name was Gary as well, actually, not Gary at Australia Post, so a different Gary. But I have to say, thankfully, he probably didn't deserve my tirade. He was very uh, gracious about it. And I said, oh, and I decided to just fess up. I said, look. I did accidentally send it to you and I'm really sorry. I said, look, I probably stand by the, the core content, yes. but the way I said it wasn't right and I shouldn't have, you know, blah, blah, blah. He was wonderfully gracious and very forgiving and, and we remain friendly to this day, thank goodness. But that well, was that's, that's, that's more great. a reflection that, of him than me. <laughs> that's no, that's exactly right. A great reflection of his character yes. and um, the great recovery on your behalf. Now, Talking a little bit about family, is it difficult balancing such an important role with family life? I always wonder how women with children do it all. You know, are there any strict rules you follow to maintain your work-life balance that may help others, particularly women listening to this podcast? Yeah, look, I think hopefully 
in the year 2023, it's more becoming a challenge of just being a parent with young children rather than just being a mother. But I do hear what you're saying because I think, unfortunately, it still leans that way. Whereas I think yeah. for young fathers, it's equally hard, right, to try and balance wanting to be there and be present and be involved and um, having a big job. Um, but definitely there is still more pressure on women. But I think I was very lucky. I had an enormous amount of help from family. So, I mean, my kids are adults now. But, yeah, when they were little, it was really hard. But I was fortunate. My parents and my in-laws, you know, all four of them, I just couldn't have done it without them. They they were just wonderful. Now I'm trying to kick my kids out. You know, they're at the age where they're both. <laughs> my son just bought his first apartment last year and he's saying, oh, mum, interest rates have gone up so much. Do you think I could come home for a while and rent my apartment out? And I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. And um, my daughter is just, she's just moved back from the US. She finished uni over there and she's, we've been last couple of weekends hunting for her. So I'm hoping to be an empty nester soon. Oh, very good. So, what are your tips, do you think, for women that are actually trying to to to, to do it all? Um, marry well, get good in laws. You know, like yes. all of that. Follow because good tips. yeah, look at honestly, it it makes a massive difference to have a partner who believes in you, believes in equality, and realizes that it is about if you've decided to be parents together, then it's a partnership. That doesn't yes. necessarily make it easy at least you're in it together and you work out solutions together. If you don't have that, I think it's really hard. And I, yes. I, I'm not sure I'm I'm not sure I can offer much on that except to say, you know, try to think flexibly, try to negotiate with your employer. You don't have to be full time to be amazing, even in a senior role. And I've had plenty of women in my team over the years in very, very senior roles come back from parental leave part time and gradually work their way back up to full-time or sometimes not. You know, sometimes they've remained in uh, – at they've got themselves back to four days and said, look, that's as much right. as I can do. And that's worked. Well, what's the one biggest piece of advice you can give, particularly to women aspiring to enter the executive team? Look, I think there's that saying, fake it till you make it. I think I kind of – that is what I was going to say, but I think a slightly different version of that, but essentially it means the same thing, and that is act as if – so, and what I mean by that is, you know, even when you're not feeling confident or you don't quite believe in yourself, act like you do, act like you yeah. deserve to be there, act like you deserve a seat at the table and that you deserve to have a voice. And you're not acting or faking because it's not true. It's just sometimes I think for anybody, but particularly more so sometimes for women, we do sometimes have those moments of doubt. Paul, as I said, I'm sure men have them too, but maybe yeah, it's yeah. more acute in women. And so we just really have to, when we don't quite believe in ourselves, we just have to almost act to ourselves. We're not acting to other people. Yes. We're acting to ourselves that we believe it and just give ourselves a little bit of that Dutch courage. And because I think as we start doing it, we use our voice, we, we exercise our right to be there, it builds on itself. You know, it feeds itself. Yes. The more you do it, the more you go, actually, I do know what I'm doing. Actually, I am contributing. Actually, I feel pretty good about this. Well, some great advice there. Now, you've also been involved with Oz Harvest Charities and the CEO Sleep Out. Is giving back something that's important to you? Yeah, look, it really is. And look, I'm very, uh, you know, I have a I have a lovely life and, and I've been paid well for what I've done in my executive roles. But 
I also think you can do that and you can and you can live in a you know like a, what is really a capitalist yes. society right and you can benefit from that and I I don't feel bad about that but at the same time giving back is important and it hasn't I haven't always been able to do it with my time especially when my kids were young I did less of that kind of thing and I remember talking to someone saying oh I feel really bad I can't really do much to contribute and they said to me, well, when you're short on time, but you're earning a good income, the way you contribute is you make donations. And so probably back then I did more in the making of donations. Whereas these days, again, it's not like, it's not like my job isn't busy, but I don't have young children. And I, that was the time, that was the period in my life. I found it tougher to balance everything. Whereas these days I feel like, you know, in the time I've spent doing, Oz Harvest. I was actually on a gap year when I spent quite a bit of time working in the supermarkets. I, I don't do that anymore today. But again, it's always that balance of wherever you're at in your life, can you give time or can you give money or a combination of both and just do, do what you can. Yeah, good good advice. Now, we've been focusing on sustainability, as you know, at the ARA for the industry, but Australia Post has been at the forefront with many sustainability initiatives. I'd be interested to hear your take on what you, where you see Australia Post is and what's been working well. Yeah, look, I think one of the big things that um, we've been doing is the electric vehicles. Obviously, being a logistics business, a lot of our carbon footprint is through transport. So, switching over to the EDVs, uh, I think, is is really important. And I, and I think we can do more with that because that, we really mainly use those in our last mile. But what are alternative forms of fuel in in more of our line haul, so our, our long distance and even our partnership with Qantas, how can we do that more effectively? So it's really looking very – there's lots of other things we do as well, but I, I guess I focus in on those things because they're the things that really make a difference. If, if we yes. can find ways to reduce our carbon footprint in really our core business through transport, that's really where it's at. And then I guess the other area that I feel pretty passionately about is how do we engage our customers to be part of the solution as well? And I'll give you an example. We talk a lot about parcel lockers and we talk about how, particularly if you live in an apartment, what's the benefit for you in using a parcel locker instead of having something sent to your door? Well, there's there's two aspects. There's the fact that it's secure because, you know, often in apartment buildings, things get stolen. Uh, they're not left safely or they won't be left because, and you're not home. You know, now that a lot of people are back yeah. in the office, the, whoever's sending it, the merchant might be saying, well, no, I'm not going to leave this because I don't think it's safe. And so they'll, you know, they'll send it to the post office. But, you know, with people working such long hours, it's quite hard to get to a post office. So that's why we're really saying for all of those reasons, sign up for a parcel locker. So just join up to the, you don't have to be on the Australia Post app. You can just do it when you check it out at checkout whoever you're buying from, you can choose a parcel locker. But the easiest way to do it is just, you know, join the Australia Post app and then you can, you know, constantly be choosing what suits you at that moment. And if a parcel locker works for you, then you can use that. But the other thing about parcel lockers that I really want to help our customers understand is that actually it's really environmentally friendly. If you're popping up to your local shops and you're going to pop in to grab some groceries for the next day or two, um, pick up your parcel or send back your parcel at the same time. That is a lot more efficient and less impact on the environment than having a postie go out, on, whether it's on an EDV or a motorbike or a truck, to each and every household. So wherever possible, you know, allowing our customers to find that, hey, this is convenient for me. It's 24-7. Yeah. It's in my local village shopping area. I'm going to be there anyway. And it's really environmentally friendly. 
So, but I just don't think we tell our customers enough about it. This could be the start of something new, right? Yeah. Which uh, hopefully, when people listen to this podcast, they might think about their own carbon footprint and what they can do. And Ozpost have got lots of great ideas in actually reducing your carbon footprint. So, I think the parcel lockers is a great initiative. Uh, Katrina, thank you so much for joining us. I've loved our conversation. Wish we had more time. And it's been an amazing uh, conversation here on Retail Therapy. Congratulations on all the work you're doing at Oz Post and all the best for the future. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. I've enjoyed the chat. Thanks for joining me today for Retail Therapy in the Amex Lounge. If you haven't already, make sure you hit that follow button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You won't want to miss an episode. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. If you're a new listener, you can find our back catalogue of new episodes, over 50 now, on our website. We've covered small business, sustainability, tech and innovation, and we even release a yearly Christmas mini-series. For more information on what we do at the ARA, head to retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All of the links can be found in the show notes. I'd now like to welcome Kelly Taggart, CEO of Roses Only, to the Amex Lounge. Roses Only is a leading Australian-owned retailer for delivered premium flowers and gifts. Its passionate florists, friendly floral consultants and dependable delivery drivers have brought joy to millions of people all over Australia. Formed in 1995, it brings together 45 years of floristry experience and established 10 florist studios in major cities nationwide as well as some partner florists. Kelly, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Paul. Nice to be here. Since its inception in 1995, Roses Only would have witnessed a lot of change and development in the floristry business. What are some of the ways you've innovated and evolved the business? Yes, we've uh, certainly seen a lot of changes since 1995. Uh, Back then, I think uh, you would have been going into a physical florist shop to buy your flowers. And these days, you have a lot of options where you can buy online, whether it's uh, through your mobile phone, either calling someone and talking to a real person or buying online through your phone or your laptop. So it really um, provides a lot of advantages there in ways that you can order in all manner of types. We've even had someone that has called in while they were riding a horse uh, and ordered flowers on their way to whatever it was that they were doing, riding a horse, would you believe it? So I guess um, back then also, first when we were online, payment options, uh, there wasn't many available. So I think we only had one payment option available. And then it's been with the likes of relationships like American Express that we've been able to really diversify those payment options for customers. And even now, uh, recently, we've been able to roll out uh, pay with points for American Express. So you can pay with your credit card points to buy your flowers, which we think is really cool. So I guess the evolution of social media has also impacted our industry quite a bit. The way that we market to customers online, uh, the rise of Google AdWords um, is a major part of the floral industry, knowing where you want to deliver something and being able to search for flower delivery to Sydney or flower delivery to Brisbane. That's generally been on the rise since um, online has increased. Uh, And also being understanding of how we can impact uh, the environment um, with more sustainable floristry as well. And I guess over the last 15 years, we've really focused on being a data-driven company and using that data to make sure that 
we're not creating the waste in the first place. So making sure that we're buying what we need for when we need it, for when our customers want it, which I'm sure you can imagine is a really difficult task. Uh, We have about a hundred different types of flowers and greenery that we manage throughout the year. Um, So you can imagine the complexity that goes with that. And we've been able to get our wastage down to around two to three percent overall, which I think is pretty fantastic. Apart from that, though, we're always looking at ways that people are doing things internationally and talking to our local flower farms to see what other sort of uh, business practices we can adopt as well. From before the days of the pandemic until now, what kind of patterns have you noticed in customer behaviour and how has this impacted the way you future-proof your business? I think not much has changed in the way that people still want things really fast and really reliably. But we were already investing in our digital infrastructure for our um, for all of our warehouses around the country. And then when the pandemic hit we saw a volume really increase. So people were, they couldn't visit their loved ones. They really wanted to send a message of love to people. And we saw that really expand. And that was a really beautiful thing to be a part of. So this meant that the advancement that we've had in our technical and digital capabilities through reliable and scalable digital practices meant that we could really provide great customer service to people uh, and reliable delivery. So I guess with more customers looking at buying online, that's meant that we've had a much more expanded customer base to talk to. And uh, thankfully, uh, they've had a really good experience with us and they've been able to experience our brand and how wonderful it is to send flowers to someone and hear the smile on someone's face when they call you or send you a message. And that's definitely driven driven a lot of uh, customer growth and repeat customers post-pandemic. So, that's been really great for us. 